0: Hey everyone, Miguel here. Over the last couple months, I've noticed a, a new wave of a lot of new subscribers and, and listeners, and I want to thank you for, for joining and, and tuning in on a weekly basis and, and encourage you to please uh, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and, and please leave a review. It, it does make a difference and it means a lot. Uh, and, and now let's go on to the show. One thing I would say I would always
1: lead with, I think even in our beginning of our conversation, I think I led with this, I would always lead with focus on enabling customer delight. Like that needs to be a number one focus. Yes, you in a technology role, but you need to lead with focusing on customer delight.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in FinTech, business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host Miguel Armaza. My guest today is Ankur Sinha, Chief Technology Officer at Remitly, a financial services provider for immigrants and their families in over 135 countries and one of the leading fintech companies in the remittance space. With offices in Seattle, London, Krakow, Manila and Managua, Remitly was founded in 2011 and went public on the Nasdaq in 2021. We discuss joining Remitly after a long career in Google and Microsoft, and what did Anchor learn in big tech and what are some of the key differences among these two companies, the long and complex history of remittances, and his take on whether crypto will revolutionize and transform the international payments industry. The CTO role. What are the most important responsibilities of CTOs and what companies and business leaders should consider when hiring a chief technology officer? Exciting trends in the world of remittances and how his team plans to ride an upcoming wave of growth and innovation and just a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Anchor Sinha from Rumitly. Anchor, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. Excited to be talking to you. Is it all the way from the West Coast? That is right. Thank you so much, Miguel. Yeah, all the way from Seattle. It is awesome and
1: look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Is it, is it rainy Seattle or is it a nice day? It's actually super sunny out. It's probably one of our better summer days this season. So yeah,
0: you're, we're lucky. Very nice. Very nice. Well, Ankur, um, I have been following Remitly for several years. i I'm fortunate to have interviewed Matt, uh, the CEO, your CEO, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and so I was excited to to chat. And, and you, you're the CTO of the company. And, and that is a... Perspective that we don't often hear on this podcast, so I think it's going to be a very informative and interesting conversation. Um, but maybe we can start just by hearing about your background, because you you do come from uh, call it big tech, right? Google and and Microsoft. So so maybe tell us, you know, what, what did you learn uh, in this two iconic companies, and why leave a great gig at Google to join Remitly.
1: Yeah, yeah. And maybe it'll help, Miguel. I'll probably do like a little bit of a quick intro in terms of, you know, how I grew up and how I got into Microsoft and Google and then, you know, why, why Remitly, which I think is is the, the crux of your question. So, you know, in general, I would say I, I'm a first generation immigrant. I was born in India, uh, brought up in New Delhi, which was the capital Uh, I would say I was lucky to be born into a family of technologists, like my father was in tech, my elder brother was in tech, so I think there's a natural inclination that happened. So I actually started my career with a startup. I co-founded my own startup back in India. Uh, You know, our claim to fame was we built toll management software for the Indian government, which for a first gig was kind of, you know, a really fun thing to go do. Um, But then, you know, based on advice from, you know, a number of trusted uh, advisors I had, including my father, you know, I decided to join Microsoft because it was like you go into a large technology company to learn things like scale, doing everything at scale. So I joined Microsoft, uh, spent about a good 12, 12 and a half years there, uh, then joined Google, spent, you know, three, three and a half years there and then joined Remitly. Uh, So I would say in terms of lessons learned, you know, from places like Microsoft and Google, I would probably call out three things. Uh, number 1 customer empathy i think if you know one things that both microsoft and google have learned to do really well is focus on the customer all else will follow it's a very common google statement but i think applies pretty well you know to both companies uh, so i think that's number 1 like doing it at planet scale for the kind of products which you know run billions of users i think is hard to do so that's definitely key um, second i would be engineering and product excellence at scale uh, at planet scale is really hard to do. So you, a lot of people join these companies to learn how to do scale really well. And I would say third, which is you know personal to me and I think relative to a lot of people, is uh, leadership evolution and how to build happy performing teams. Uh, you know both are important, uh, but I think it's useful to learn from there. So I think that that's you know key lessons I've, I've learned from Microsoft and Google. If I can answer the question about why Amuly, uh, you know, if I joined about four months ago. Uh, I was really drawn by the company's purpose and mis- and vision, so like this notion of transforming the lives of immigrants and their families by providing the most trusted financial services on the planet. I think appealed to me because me myself being an immigrant, uh, just seeing how we you know talk uh, to and talk about our customers, I think was really appealing. Uh, I'll maybe pause here and say, we really think of our customers as our heroes. Uh, because if you think about our target segment, which are immigrants, uh, they do a really hard job, right? They leave their home country, come to a different one with the intent of you know, driving prosperity. And then remittances, which is our core business, uh, is something they do to fulfill you know, their, you can call it their duty or their obligation. So we feel really honored and blessed to be able to help drive that aspect forward. So I think that was the key thing that drove me uh, towards Remittly because I think you can associate with that purpose. Uh, And then I think the culture and the people, phenomenal. I mean, you talked about Matt. I mean, he he is clearly an influence in terms of driving, and I think he's created a wonderful culture at the company. Uh, And I think the tech was an important aspect as well. The tech investments we've made for a company our
0: size and scale uh, was quite impressive, and I wanted to contribute and drive that too as well. Yeah, and and you're talking to a fellow immigrant and also a customer uh, at times. I've definitely used Remitly, even this year, a few times. Uh, So... To stay a little bit on on Google and Microsoft, a lot of people might might look at the companies and might think, oh, that's just big tech. But I'm sure there are big differences in the culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you say is the main big difference uh, between Google and Microsoft? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they're, they're different in the sense of, I would say, Microsoft
1: is really really the king of enterprise in some senses right like they've really mastered how to do enterprise uh, so when you look at you know a lot of Microsoft's key successes, when you look at Windows in the old world, or if you look at Azure now, uh, I think their office is another big you know aspect. So so the culture is a lot more optimized to drive successes of organizations. If you look at Microsoft's vision, right, it is about enabling other organizations to achieve their full potential, right. So you can see that inherent in the culture of how Microsoft evolves and builds products and services for those companies. Google historically has been a consumer company, right, like search, uh, Gmail, uh, you know, YouTube, like a lot of those consumer companies. So I think a lot of the culture at Google is around consumer centricity. I talked about customer empathy earlier. It's about consumer centricity. So a lot of the culture that Google has built is around, you know, building things that are amazing from a consumer standpoint. And that's where you see those companies be really good. Now, it would be a remiss if I didn't call this out, that these companies are both massive, right? So the the stereotype I talked about is the one that's probably the most prevalent, but you can see actually in my experience is a particularly interesting one because I worked in Xbox at Microsoft, which is Microsoft's foray into consumer that has grown really, really well. So you can see Microsoft doing consumer things really well as well. And then at Google, I worked in Google Cloud, uh, which is Google Cloud, you know, Google trying to go enterprise and contributing to that. So you you can see even these big companies have specific nuances in culture uh, and how they build products and services depending on, you know, where they're targeting. But I would say those are, you know, some interesting key deltas. Uh, But I think they're both phenomenal companies and and they both drive value through their own perspectives of, you know,
0: contributing to customers there. So at this point, you've been with Remitly for... Say over half a year. Correct me Mm -hmm. if I'm wrong. Yeah, about like four months. Yeah, got it. Would you say you're you're fully onboarded at this point? I would say so. I I feel like it's been a lot longer.
1: Like I I think this is probably true to a lot of people ultimately. Like I think you know we are so passionate about what we do, Uh, so it feels a lot longer. But yeah, I've spent just about four months. I would say I'm I'm generally pretty ramped up. I think I understand you know a lot of what's happening and what we want to go do. Uh, but yeah, it's been an incredible, like you know, first ninety plus days for me here. Ultimately,
0: yeah. T- tell us about those uh, those first few months. Um, yeah, yeah. What what has been the most surprising thing you've learned, and then kind of some of the some of the takeaways? Yeah, uh, I would say, like if, if I explain to you, maybe as as a good
1: you know takeaway for people listening to this podcast, like I really. Wanted to spend my first 90 days. A lot of people have probably heard about this notion of, you know, first 90 days, how you should structure it. As, as a leader coming into a new organization, I really focused my first 90 days on, on four big categories, right? Uh, listen and learn. Come in and understand what's happening, understand the people, understand the space. Uh, measure and assess. Measuring and assessing what the current state of different things are, technology and otherwise. Uh, act and iterate. Uh, Can we act on certain things and drive some key wins in in the first 90 days and then iterate on those as time goes on? And then lastly, uh, scale and innovate, right? How do you drive things in a a role like mine? How do you drive that scale and innovation from a technology standpoint to take the company forward? So I think those four areas have been key to my ramp up as I've come in. Uh, Things I've learned, uh, I would say I've been really inspired by the customer centricity at, at Remitly. Uh, the focus on improving lives for immigrants and their families, and it shows right from user research to product design to engineering to our support. Uh, I think it it definitely percolates, and it really is the heart of who we are at Remitly. You asked what's the most surprising thing. I think the most surprising thing I I think I've learned is how complex a remittance can be. Uh, Like on the surface, it feels easy, right? Like you're just transferring money from x to y like how hard can it be uh, but when you think about you know onboarding of you know funds coming into you know a, a remittance uh, the actual transfer of you know doing a uh, cross currency cross country transfer to offboarding how that fund gets dispersed to you know the receiving customer uh, and really being able to provide this sense of peace of mind to our customers is really really hard uh, both technically and operationally so i think it's been really good for me to learn that uh, at at scale, and I think that's been very positively surprising. Uh, in terms of you know learning or surprising thing from a what can we do better going forward perspective, I would say even at our scale and size, we're just about two percent of the overall remittance market. Uh, you know, so in order to really drive towards some of the broader, even United Nations goals, and we can talk about that in more detail of you know reducing inequalities, we're still in the very early phases of getting started. So there's a massive
0: opportunity for us to do a lot more in that area. So, to I think to understand that complexity for for the audience, maybe if you can take us through that evolution, the the, the history of remittances. Uh, it's a very, very long history, so I don't know how far you want to, uh, you want to go. But uh, it would definitely be helpful uh, to understand where it's coming from, what, what has created all of this complexity. And then we can also talk about more uh, the future. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely would be happy to. Uh, so I would say, yeah, I mean, remittances have been around for a really long time. I would say even if you look at some of the current remittance companies, uh, some of them were founded in the the 1850s, so that's like over 170 years ago, right? So, uh, so I think it's important to reflect from two perspectives, right? One, uh, remittances are something that provide uh, criticality to the people who use them, right? So that's why they've been around for that long, uh, you know. Which is for someone to be able to send money, you know, to to someone else in need. Uh, so I think it's it's definitely been true, uh, and I would say, you know, from a uh, from a use case perspective and I apply it to immigrants, which are our customer segment, like you can see that you know we uh, as the world has globalized you know from 1850s to now, uh, there's a lot more people who come into that category of immigrants and are wanting to do remittances, right? So in some senses, that criticality is important to reflect on. In terms of the evolution itself, I mean, you can think of like, you know, remittances started like really, really manually, right? Think money orders or like taking remittances over a fax or a phone and saying, hey, we're going to, you know, transfer money in that sense. I think that evolved to the physical bank era where you walked into a bank and said, this is the money, I want to transfer it to another account. Uh, you know, to uh, the web banking era, which is, you know, you logged on to a website and you said, hey, I want to transfer money, It took about a week and you paid exorbitant fees, but it got there, you know, to, I I guess, the the era we're in now, which is more of the, you know, what I call the mobile app era, uh, you know, where you log on to an app just like Remitly and, you know, transfer money there. Uh, So I think that's been one pivot of evolution. Uh, The other pivot has been, you know, payment methods themselves, like previously cash was king. Uh, Cash was the primary mechanism through which you did remittances. We've gone to bank accounts, to debit cards, to mobile wallets, to cryptocurrency. Uh, So in that sense, I think that evolution is another pivot, which is what payment methods they've used. And I would say from from a general scenario perspective, if we want to evaluate and we'll probably cover this as we talk more about this, the evolution from a customer standpoint has been around three big factors. The cost of doing remittance, How much does it cost? How much am I paying uh, in fees or in like you know FX spread? Uh, what's the speed of it? How long does it take? And then you know what is the peace of mind or convenience of doing remittance, Right? Like, do I know what's happening? Uh, am I aware? And like, how do you provide that peace of mind? I think those are the three aspects that have also evolved over time as well. Uh,
0: and and I guess um, thinking about the future of remittances. One use case for crypto that, that a lot of people, a lot of advocates for crypto, uh, talk about is making remittances more seamless, cheaper, faster, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think you're the best person to tell us if if this uh, use case has any legs, right? Uh, and whether you see this technology uh, transforming the remittance base at scale, uh, or are people just smoking something? Yep, Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And he yes, a question we
1: get quite a lot. So uh, I would say as a company, uh, we've definitely been watching crypto for quite a long time. And I think the, the approach we've taken is we monitor for which of our custom problems can crypto, the technology, help solve for. And then we either then either build or partner based on that. Right, like either we build it ourselves or we partner with somebody who could do it. I would say when it comes to remittances, I feel like sometimes there's been this, uh, you know, a lot of talk around, you know, can we just apply crypto or blockchain to remittances and make it free and instant, right? Because it's a distributed ledger, you know, it's in the public domain, like you should be able to make it free and instant. Uh, And I think it's important to think a little bit more deeply in terms of one, what is the remittance scenario? Uh, where do the costs come from? Where do the latencies or delays come from? And does, you know, crypto or blockchain really does solve for that in a, in a global sense, right? Cross-country. So, so we maybe dig into it a little bit more. Uh, it's important to first maybe analyze where do costs come from in a remittance, right? Because cost primarily comes from, I would say, a set of variable costs and a set of fixed costs, right? So the variable costs are uh, money onboarding, right? You're getting money from an account a cash into a system that will then you know transfer it into your receivers account Uh, so collecting those funds doing so quickly providing compliance regulatory compliance uh, providing security protecting against fraud uh, all of those you know come at a cost that we would need to continue to invest in And then that's for onboarding. And then for dispersing or offboarding, um, it depends on what you're offboarding into, right? So if you're doing a crypto to fiat transfer, if somebody wants to cash it out, right, you're still paying. Like if you look at any of the crypto exchanges, when you want to do a crypto to fiat transaction, you pay, I would say, a fairly large fee on it, right? So in some senses, it's important to dig into what the cost of remittance today is, and does crypto actually help with it? Uh, so those are variable costs, right? From offboarding, onboarding perspective. Uh, from a fixed cost, fixed cost perspective, there's a notion of you know your infrastructure, you're doing fraud prevention, you're building security, you're building a mobile app that makes sure you provide a better experience. So if you take those into account, uh, that's the state of the union in terms of where remittances stand and where crypto can or cannot help, right? I would argue. If there was one single cryptocurrency, this has also been a pretty big narrative, right? If there was one single cryptocurrency that all governments adopted, right, then it would then it would solve for this problem, right? Because then uh, its regulatory compliance is handled for. uh, You have one singular currency, so there's no quote unquote conversion to be had. But I would say over the past couple of years, we've seen that that's not the narrative that's evolving, right? Even Bitcoin has evolved to be more of a store of value than a currency that people are using to transact and buy or sell things for. So in some senses, I would say there's been some good lessons learned. Even we've learned around how having one global currency is not necessarily a technology problem because the technology exists. We could use it. It's more of a regulatory challenge, right? Like, will the governments Will the regulatory institutions, will the central banks adopt it? Uh, So there's been some talk about stable coins and, you know, different governments adopting stable coins. I would say if that happens, we'd be the first ones to go drive integrations with it. Uh, But till that happens, I think we're more in this, uh, you know, wait and watch, but also partner phase. So if you look at Remitly, uh, we've partnered with, I would say, two of the most innovative companies on the planet in this space. So we've partnered with Coinbase and we've partnered with Facebook, uh, you know, to be able to drive some of their investments in this area. Uh, In some ways, it's good validation for us uh, because the fact that they've partnered with us tells us that there are complexities here that they want to leverage our network, our scale for in order to drive that regulation forward. But uh, as that situation evolves, I think we'll continue to, you know, evaluate crypto of its scenarios. But from a remittance perspective, I think that's where the challenges are, uh, where, you know, cost will still be there if you're converting to fiat. And, you know, latency will still be there if you're offboarding or onboarding, you know, from different uh, providers as well.
0: So since crypto is not going to revolutionize the industry quite yet, uh, what are some of the more immediate innovations that you are most excited about and that Remitly is going to act on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I think one thing we've noticed is, There's definitely been a rapid
1: change and probably accelerated by the the pandemic, uh, you know, for how uh, financial services are delivered to customers across the globe, which includes payments, which you will see a lot of fintech companies trying to innovate on. Uh, So that's been driven by technology, by smartphones, by having better reliable data access, uh, you know, by in some cases, blockchain and crypto. Uh, But you are seeing now everyone from central banks to fintech companies, so even in some cases, you know, the, the traditional banks trying to innovate in these areas uh, so that you're, you're able to provide a better experience. I would say it's a win win for everyone, uh, because at the end of the day, the customer wins. They're betting, getting better experiences at lower costs and they're able to have more variety, which I think is useful. Um, so that's one where I think, you know, it's this notion of, you know, a broad range of financial services tied more cohesively, being delivered globally, which I think is one trend, which we're actively contributing to. Uh, The second one is obviously the one that everybody talks about, which is, you know, remittances and financial services to be, you know, originated and handled more digitally. Because, you know, I think, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but, you know, over 70% of remittances still happen offline, right? So in some senses, being able to drive that more online, I think COVID helped accelerate it, but a lot of it is going to be you know, driving that digitization of of remittances and some of the other financial services, Uh, you know, from how we apply it to Remitly, I would say say we're right up there in terms of, you know, having an innovative platform that is able to drive digital remittances uh, at, you know, a pretty rapid pace at a pretty low cost, uh, you know, driving features at scale. So being able to, you know, innovate with new features for our customers Uh, and then being able to do it in a way that's, you know, scalable, secure, uh, and manageable, you know, from a sustainability standpoint,
0: driving that forward, I think, has been pretty key to us in that sense. Let's talk a bit about the CTO role. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe your top three responsibilities? For sure, yeah. I would
1: say uh, from, a, from a CTO role standpoint, uh, I currently oversee uh, all technology investments at the company. So I would say my, my top three responsibilities would be managing technology strategy and investments across the company and all of our product units because we have a remittance product unit uh, a banking slash passbook product unit and, and a, what we call remitly for developers you know b2b product unit so making sure that the technology strategy straddles all three and other ones that we might build out and being able to rationalize that both for the short term as for the long term uh, that's number one now the second is uh, managing our platform and engineering architecture. Uh, managing it from a scalability, reliability, and all the different sub-platforms perspective, because you can think of it as remittance, finance, data platforms, machine learning, and AI information security, and making sure that those supporting systems are working at scale as we continue to grow. And then third, uh, in my mind, the most important one, uh, ensuring that we can build and support this in a self-sustaining, self-growing fashion uh, from a people product and process standpoint, so people meaning, you know, creating that organizational setup to make sure it can continue to scale, product making sure that we're continuing to invest long term as well as iterate on our product strategy as we build it, and then process doing it in the most efficient and effective
0: fashion as possible for the company. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fascinating because also you have, you're dealing with hundreds of currencies. Um, I believe Remitly started is it with a U.S. Philippines corridor, right? Performance been- investments.
1: Are we always available? Are we always, you know, giving the user an experience that they don't have to wait and, you know, see the the experience to load? How do we do that? Um, third is security and compliance. Our business is built on trust, uh, so if we don't invest in that security and compliance building trust capability, I think we lose. So we invest a lot there. And then, lastly, extensibility. How do we make sure that our platform can continue to evolve and, you know, continue to serve customers but keep giving new capabilities? We can evolve. So that's number one. Number two, uh, you, we have this notion at Remitly that we call localization at scale, right? So we, we do this thing where we say remittances are global, but our customers are local right? So, how do we do experiences in our platform and platformize how we do things at local relevance, whether that's from a, you know, language translation perspective, that's from a local payment method perspective, uh, or whether that's from how do we make sure that we're doing it at scale in that local receive country. An example is, you know, there are certain countries where cash pickup is the primary disbursement mechanism, and we need to partner to build that global network that supports, you know, that cash pickup in those countries. So, we do platformize a lot of providing that localization at scale. And would say number three from a technology standpoint is what I call engineering excellence. How do we do all of this from an engineering standpoint that's sustainable and maintainable from a uh, supportability standpoint? How do we keep adding to it without sacrificing scale and quality? Uh, and that's something we actively invest in in making sure that engineers are spending time uh, driving those investments to have a maintainable and supportable platform.
0: If you were advising another fintech company or or more incumbent financial services company to bring a cto on board what would you say they they should focus on what 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 concepts and and skills should yeah curious curious about this this problem yeah a lot of people deal with it yeah that's a really good one yeah i I actually have to think a little bit more
1: deeply about that one but i would say uh One thing I would say I would always lead with, I think even in our beginning of our conversation, I think I led with this. I would always lead with focus on enabling customer delight. Like that needs to be a number one focus. Yes, you're in a technology role, but you need to lead with focusing on customer delight. I would say that would be number one. Uh, Number two would be build technology for impact. Uh, Don't build technology for technology sake. We have a lot of situations where people have a solution in the form of a technology and they're looking for a problem to solve, right? So uh, lead with the problem and then find the right technology solution to solve it. So I would say technology for impact, which can also you know, be, be rephrased or expressed as, you know, transform your area by challenging the norm, right? Like in some cases, you know, when, when new incumbent companies do come up, uh, they are trying to challenge the norm. So I think it's important to think about what problem are you trying to solve and then find the right solution for it that can be you know, driven and led by technology. I would say number three would be focus on product and engineering excellence. And I'll explain a little bit what each of those mean. Product excellence means you've done your MVP, right? So you've validated your product market fit and you've validated that it is there. You then need to make your product really, really good, right? So That's what product excellence is, which is iterating on your product to really, really be best in class. Uh, and then second is engineering excellence, which is as you go build that product over iterations, you need to make sure that your systems are set up in place so you can scale. Right. All of this applies, assuming you have product market fit, but I think it's really, really important to focus on that product and engineering excellence. And I would say lastly, for a CTO type role, I would definitely say, uh, focus on the people, product and process for me in that order. Uh, you know, Focus on people first, because that's your job as a leader. Uh, focus on product next and process in that order. But you, know, you have to build your own. If I was advising incumbent CTOs, I would say, come in and evaluate how you would pivot on these three. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely lead with people, product, and process.
0: Fascinating, uh, fascinating stuff. anchor Um, So we are now at a very interesting point uh, for remittances. The, all the stats that I read is that it just the industry keeps growing, right? And and I guess migration flows are are, are growing as well. Uh, the economy keeps growing, so it makes sense. Um, what what are you most excited about for for the next uh, couple of years? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would say the thing I'm most excited about, both from an industry standpoint and maybe even from a from a remitly standpoint, is uh, like you said, as the uh, as the general population goes more global, uh, as we are seeing a lot more of growth in this notion of you know cross border, cross country transfers. I think what I'm most excited about is you know being able to play a part towards driving that seamlessness of how do we do remittances really well. Uh, and the way we've approached it intimately is uh, you know two broad categories going broad, and going deep, right? So going broad in the sense of obviously, you know, offering more services, you know, getting deeper into banking, providing other financial services that are part of our vision and also expanding into more countries, right? Like expanding our send and receive combinations so we can have even more presence in a broader aspect of the market. So that's the growing broad part. Uh, Going deep part goes back to this notion of localization at scale. How do we get better and more relevant in each, Uh, you know, receive country that we support, right? How do we make sure that we're doing a really good job? Because when we go to a particular region and we see what the specific nuances are, uh, like we have to get really good at driving that forward uh, and then being able to platformize it, right? So that we're able to do it quickly and quickly every time we add a new one. So that's what like really excites me in terms of how do we do this interesting combination of breadth and depth at the same time uh, at our scale and then continue to grow that.
0: And Anger, when you think of your career so far, are there a couple names, uh, any people that come to mind as some of the most helpful and, and consequential? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say outside of my family, I, I would discount them because like, I think I've had a very
1: tech-driven family with my parents, my wife, my brother, all being in techs. So I think they've been pretty influential, but I'll discount them for this conversation. I would say I've been very lucky to have both mentors and sponsors throughout my career, uh, I think across different aspects of my career. So if I could name a few, uh, Kurt Steeb, who was one of my first mentors, uh, he's no longer here, he passed away a few years ago, I think was was a key one, I think, who drove a lot of learning for me uh, from a leadership perspective. And I think a lot of what I am as a leader is based on things I learned from him. Uh, I think a couple of other names I'll call out, uh, Darren uh, you know, he's at Microsoft, uh, Rod Toll, uh, he was also at Microsoft, now at Meta. I think we're both instrumental in driving my career growth uh, at at Microsoft. And then I would say at Google, Hial uh, Manor, uh, he's now a chief product officer at uh, at Twilio. And then Chandu Thota, who's a VP at Google, I think were, again, key sponsors for me uh, as I spent time at Google and, and grew there. So key people, uh, I, I will never forget their contribution that I've always felt supported. And they've always given me opportunities to grow. Uh, When I thought, you know, I couldn't have those opportunities. So I
0: am incredibly grateful to them. Is that something you also try to do? Uh, Do you have some some mentees on your own? Yeah, I mean, I do. And and I would say in my role, I I
1: would say across all three of those companies that we've talked about, I absolutely mentor people more directly. And then uh, I would say I've built up mentorship programs and sponsorship programs at all three companies where uh, we try to do it more from a programmatic perspective as well. So uh, I spend time mentoring people, not just at those companies, but even outside. So I do a lot of LinkedIn networking. So anybody listening or reading this, if you want to reach out, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Uh, But then we also try to create, you know, mentorship and sponsorship programs so we can drive those forward uh, in the companies that we're part of as well.
0: Agur, thank you so much for joining and educating all of us. And uh, I'll be following uh, your journey and, and remotely very, very closely. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Miguel. Wonderful conversation. Take care. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Anker Sinha, Chief Technology Officer of Remitly. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. Signing off, till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.